This episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast is brought to you by Finnegan. To find out more information about all the services that Finnegan offers, go to finnegan.com. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Tom Salemi, welcome to this week's episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to be speaking later today with Tim Herbert. He's the president and CEO of Inspire Medical System. He's an engineer turned CEO, and we'll find out how he made that transition and how he built a team that took Inspire public. Also, we'll speak with Rob Ador. Rob is the incoming CEO at Protolabs, a digital manufacturing company, and we'll talk with him about their transition, about their business, and about a recent acquisition they made. Before we get into this week's episode, I did want to remind you that Device Talks Tuesdays starts in March. We'll be opening up with an episode featuring Quasar. It's going to be an interesting conversation about China. So please check it out. Go to devicetalks.com, find the Device Talks Tuesdays tab, and you can check out all of our upcoming presentations, all of our upcoming episodes, and register for them. Now, let's bring in my podcast partner, Chris Newmarker. Chris Newmarker, how are you, sir? Good to be here, Tom. It's uh, it's a, a an interesting Friday here at the, uh, yeah. the end of end of a short week. Yes. So it came quickly, but uh, it did. I feel feel a bit off. It's just it's kind of like <laughs> I, I feel like there should be another day or something. And you know, there's just not that usual like Friday. Like wow, I I just got a whole week done. It's kind of kind of different. Got got the rhythms different today. And there was some uh, some some chatter on the internal Slack about a, a new a new term for for these types of days. What was that again that uh, Nancy Crotty mentioned? Oh yes, yeah, Blur's Day. Blur's Day. Yeah, yes. I mean, does it even yeah. matter? It's Friday because we're <laughs> you know we're just you know this pandemic. We're just like you know moving through it. And yeah, uh, someone asked me just before we got on. You have any big plans for the weekend? And I just kind of looked at him. I'm like. Do we do that anymore? <laughs> Does anyone have big plans for weekends anymore? We might get pizza. Pizza, hey, watch pizza. Yeah, I think I think pizza yeah. pizza places have done pretty well about the pandemic. That's like one of the few few little joys you can you can get. You know, so pizza and podcasts. Pizza and podcasts. You're right. That's it. Yes. I, sh- I actually was going to have a piece of pizza while we did this. I wish I had done that, but that, that opportunity has passed, but we can definitely deliver on this podcast and we will deliver this podcast to our listeners in under 30 minutes or it's free. Let's deliver this new markers, newsmakers, Chris. What is number five? Well, number five on the list is we've got uh, the uh, FDA issuing a uh, emergency use authorization for Thermo Fisher Scientific's combo COVID nineteen uh, flu test, and uh, you know, I mean, these types of tests are just like really important amid the pandemic because COVID is 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 a is a really serious condition. Flu can be a really serious condition. If you are feeling really, really sick, do you have COVID or the flu? You know, so versus having to do like multiple tests to figure out what's wrong, you can just get a, a combo test and hopefully sort things out. Makes perfect sense. All right. Let us go to number four on the new markers, newsmakers list. Number four on the list, we got Mainstay Medical raising $108 million. And uh, Mainstay is a uh, neurostimulation uh, you know, company. They've uh, got their Reactive 8, which is uh, designed to treat, uh, you know, intractable chronic lower back pain. So, you know, neuro, neurostim has been a, been a hot space. It's all about like, especially about like, you know, 
you know, packaging, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, pacemaker type uh, technology to, you know, use all the, on all these different, uh, different uses. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, so another made eight million dollars for another company uh, in the space. And as we mentioned at the top, we'll have a, a neurostim company on today. I'll talk with Tim Herbert of Inspire, which has uh, been a really great story. And and Mainstay raised money from Sofanova Partners, which would be the one in Paris, KCK Fountain, and Ally Bridge. So they have quite the quite the syndicate going. Oh, very cool. All right, Chris. Now we're going to take a break from the new markers, newsmakers, to hear our first keynote conversation, our opening keynote conversation. I had the opportunity to speak with Rob Bador. He is the incoming CEO at Protolabs. Let's listen. Well, Rob Bador, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. Glad to be here. Can't wait to talk to you about your uh, your becoming CEO of Protolabs. But uh, before we move into that, tell us a bit about what Protolabs is currently. What is it that you folks do and, and how do you do it? Absolutely. Well, um, and I'm, I'm very excited to talk to you about that. So, you know, at Protolabs, our legacy business has been about organically transforming manufacturing right from end to end. We're over 20 years old and we were really a pioneer in digital manufacturing uh, from the start, both in terms of offering uh, contract manufacturing custom of custom parts online. We were really the first to do that in the late 90s. Wow. Uh, to really revolutionizing and digitizing the back end, meaning we truly have a digital thread that goes from the time the customer uh, uh, you know, requests a quote all the way through through the manufacturing floor to the back office, through shipping and end and, to end. And we did that by infusing software and, you know, kind of internet technology and manufacturing automation using AI and other technologies into traditional manufacturing process. So we have great front end capability, right, for engaging the customer online. But then we also have this really transformative technology for automating uh, the manual components of the manufacturing process on the factory floor. And together, that allows us to, to really digitize and automate manufacturing and provide tremendous speed at very affordable costs because we've taken a lot of the waste out of the manufacturing process. What percentage of your business is in the device industry? Yeah, medical devices is our largest industry, and it represents about a quarter of our business globally. Where are you involved in the in the development of a, a device from as early from the the prototype when they're developing the idea right through the the, the final piece? Uh, where where do you sort of enter enter that process? We we enter right from the beginning at the ideation stage, at the prototyping and design stage. Uh, where we can bring a lot of value by, again, making making the parts, prototyping the parts within a matter of days using the, the final end use process that they're going to use, which makes it a good fit for, you know, the FDA approval process as well. And a lot of customers will use this in that way where, you know, uh, example would be they're trying to um, finalize a design and they might have a number of competing designs. So, you know, we've worked with customers where, we might make eight or 10 molds of variations of the same design, right? Get them several hundred parts off of each of those molds within a week or two weeks. Uh, then they can test and uh, evaluate those different designs, destructive testing, whatever it might need to be, and then pick a winning design to take forward. Or sometimes they pick that winning design and then they iterate on that winning design a couple times to refine it, right? And now they've made 10 molds with us in the course of a month for $50,000 and they have a tremendous learning 
about the, their design and they can feel really good about bringing that forward uh, for approval. So that's that's one use case around kind of helping accelerate innovation in a very cost-effective way that we that we bring value in. The other the other way is really around production and production. If uh, you know at, at the time of, of product launch to get new parts into the market for you know the lifetime of the product. If it's not a super high volume product that's not going to go into the to the millions or tens of millions, we can be very cost effective from a total cost of ownership standpoint. A lot of customers use us in that way. And then sometimes for um, uh, end of life management, more on the you know larger instrumentation side, um, you know, customers will, will use this as well. And in the last year with COVID, you know, we we played a very big role there and actually very proud of, of what we could contribute. In March, when uh, February, March, when, the, you know, when, when this started to emerge, we actually prioritized medical devices over all other industries. And within that, those products that, you know, combat, uh, combat the disease um, were, were the ones that we prioritized and we waived our, our you know, um, our, our fees, right, for expedites, and we prioritize those over all others. And we did over 18 million in uh, in parts for, you know, devices like face masks, uh, test kits, ventilators, respirators, and other, other devices that combated uh, COVID-19. So, you know, and in, in that scenario, we actually made millions of, of parts, right? So where we tend to be more of a high mix, low volume, uh, provider, molder, and, and manufacturer. There were definitely some cases uh, with with those products, and and we've had that, of course, from time to time with others where we did numbers well into the to the millions uh, because that was the the right fit and the need for the customers at the time. So, do you work with device companies of all sizes? Absolutely. Yep. From uh, from small startups all the way through mid-sized companies to you know Fortune 100. I want to talk about your your acquisition of, of 3D Hubs in a moment, and, and again your move into being a CEO. But I, you hit upon COVID. You mentioned that this is sort of a question that finds its way into almost every interview. How did the the changes that we all had to to adopt to to stave off COVID change how Proto Labs was doing its work and which of those changes will stick? Will Protolabs be a different company once we emerge from this? Yeah, that's a great question. So we we had uh, we took a very um, I believe comprehensive approach to this, um, focusing on our employees' safety. On the in the office environment, we we moved almost all of our office uh, folks, over seven hundred people in our business, uh, from working in the office to working from home, uh, in the matter of about uh, one week. Uh, during that period, and uh, our, you know, our, all our support teams did an awesome job to, you know, keep everybody up and running. You know, quotes returned and everything, you know, maintained in a, in a very effective manner. Um, on the and 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 those essentially all those teams are still working from home. You know, now almost a year later, and productivity has been great. And I really appreciate all the work that everyone's done. And on the plant floor, uh, we also instituted. Uh, just a broad range of safety measures from, you know, temperature screening, social distancing, um, requiring masks, more intense cleanings and, and all of that. Uh, you know, we, we've had a very strong safety culture as, as uh, Portal Labs, you know, we, we absolutely lead manufacturing, right? Lead, lead in, the, in the manufacturing industries and, and methodologies that we use, we are absolutely leading in terms of our, our safety records. And we approach this with very much the same uh, mindset, which is around this is a safe, we view this as a safety concern, and we and we tackled it in that way. And um, I'm I'm very proud to say that um, that it's gone very well. 
from that standpoint. And and to your your sorry your question about you know how's this going to look in the future, I would say that you know the the main thing that we learned from this was that we could work very effectively with a, a more flexible policy around where we work from, right? So I absolutely expect that you know as we come out of this and um, and and COVID becomes less of a an issue certainly expect that we will have, you know, a continuation of, of greater flexibility. And in fact, we're right now talking to our employees and, and working through uh, an approach where we'll have multiple, you know, kind of tiers that will include, you know, hybrid options and more flexibility uh, to work from home uh, for many of our employees as a result. And how about your engagement with cl- with clients? It would seem to me that an operation like yours where you're dealing with people di- from a from a distance virtually through electronic means this this kind of, this kind of change in this era is is sort of made for for that sort of dynamic how has that changed your interaction or has it changed your interaction with climate clients and do you anticipate some sort of a, a change in your the level of your business going forward as a result of the requirements we had to work under in COVID? Given that we were an online company, you know, I think that that was to our advantage somewhat in this uh, because we were able to adapt very quickly. Sure. And, um, you know, most of our engagement with customers was already online and, and digital and our, you know, our teams were very facile with that. Um, so I think that that really helped us and our marketing team, you know, did, did an amazing job. Uh, we went from, I mean, essentially trade shows were shut down this year. <laughs> I know. <laughs> right. And 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 so we had to pivot, you know, because of course that's that's part of our, you know, multi-channel uh, marketing approach. And so we had to pivot to uh, to do much more of these, you know, we and, and our teams actually developed a virtual trade show, um, which was really cool that you could kind of walk through and had 3D elements to it and um, and our webinars. Um, and, and we've had great success with with webinars. You know, we have a lot of content that uh, where we can you know, be thought leaders in, in various elements of, of our, you know, manufacturing space. And, um, and those are very well received. And so we've been able to continue to stay uh, engaged with our customers and continue to add value, uh, even, you know, during this, this challenging time. So uh, that's been that's been pretty effective for us. Right. Well, I wanted to uh, touch upon your recent acquisition of 3D Hubs. It's kind of what got me to uh, to reach out. It, your, your press release stated that, you know, this is really going to help you carry your strategy further. Once again, uh, let's use your words and not mine. What does the acquisition of, of 3D Hubs mean for Protolab? Yeah, so it's a real evolution of our strategy uh, to be focused around the customer and meet the needs of the customer, right? So if you look at our history, as I talked about a little bit earlier, over the course of uh, our life as a company, we have continually added more and more capabilities. We, we grew our scale and we grew our complexity and we added additional services. And we will continue to have those services that we offer in our unique way in-house. And at the same time, we're finding that customers have more and more needs and we want to be able to serve those needs in all use cases. What's really exciting to us about 3D Hubs is that they have a very complementary network of really great manufacturing partners who have a lot of capability right? Capability that we don't have in-house. And by combining forces, we can now offer them, uh, offer our customers, you know, a very broad set of solutions. So whatever their need might be, uh, whether it's, um, you know, a broadening of our physical envelope to be able to manufacture parts, whether those be larger or smaller or in certain materials or other special, 
you know, specialty capabilities that we don't offer in-house that one of our, our partners can now provide. Um, but in addition, it offers a, a broader range of of lead time options and pricing options for our customers so that whatever their needs might be and whatever use case they might have, right, we can we can offer them the best solution possible, which simplifies their you know life and, and can help us continue on this journey to be provider of choice for them as they as they uh, you know to meet their custom parts needs is 3d hubs sort of a final piece of what you needed or or where do you see proto lab sort of headed in the uh in the immediate future well so uh the other big milestone that we just achieved was um the completion of our uh pro, what we call proto labs 2.0 which is our new and improved um front end uh online e-commerce system, as well as uh, kind of the back-end system that that uh, I talked about, right, that completes our digital thread on the manufacturing uh, floor. So uh, with the launch of that, we launched that in Europe uh, in uh, November, and we just launched it a few weeks ago here in the U.S. And with that now launched, uh, we also have a, a you know really improved uh, user experience for customers and an architecture that allows us to be much more flexible uh, to quickly add more capabilities and um, and that'll also help us facilitate the integration for a really seamless front-end user experience uh, with 3d hubs so that our customers you know ultimately will have you know one place that they can go and, and get access to uh, all of those capabilities so and that's really what our focus is right now is to is to work to bring that all together. And to, to, to uh, wrap up where, where I started, I mentioned you're, you'll be coming CEO. Are you, well, you, you were in December, it was announced you would, you would take over the CEO role from Vicki Holt, who was, who was retiring. Uh, you've been in a transition role, uh, I guess, over this time. Is the transition done or are you? March, March 1st. March 1st. So congratulations on that. What is your, uh, we talked a bit about your plans for Protolab's plans, but specifically as, as CEO, do you have any changes in mind? Yeah, well, first of all, um, it's a, just a tremendous honor and uh, privilege for me. You know, I've, I've been with the company over eight years, and um, uh, the company has more than tripled in size during that period of time. You know, Vicky's been with us for, for seven years and just done an amazing job of, of leading the company through a lot of growth and change and really set us up for uh, this great next era of, of growth uh, and, and the platform for growth. So, um, you know, can't say enough good about her and what she's done for us and and um, and really thank her for, for everything. And I wish her all the best with the, this next phase in her career. Uh, that's an exciting time for her as well. Uh, from my standpoint, I think it's absolutely about uh, what we just talked about, right? Continuing this this evolution of our ability to further serve the needs of customers, uh, and and you know putting this this combination of Protolab's ability to you know to make um, certain parts in in house combined with the uh, the network uh, that 3D Hubs brings us to really have a very comprehensive offering uh, to our customers to, you know, to meet their needs, uh, whatever they may be in, uh, in, you know, in custom contract manufacturing online. Well, I'm really grateful that you've taken the time to, uh, to join us today. Thanks for, for being on the podcast, Rob. Thank you. All right. Thanks to Rob Adore and Brutal Labs for joining us on the podcast. Chris Newmarker, 
What is number three on the New Markers Newsmakers? So number three on the list, uh, there, Elizabeth Holmes. You heard about her? I have. Yes. Yes. Yeah. More, more, uh, more Theranos trial news. Uh, so her uh, her lawyers are uh, saying that you know her need for cash clothes and, and travel. It was just like other CEOs. You so. know, it's interesting. I remember the the, the Carrie book. I don't remember reading her having a very extravagant lifestyle. Like I don't remember ever going. Oh my God! It, you know they had it wasn't it wasn't Tycho kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody like no like uh, like what was it like like he was being like their CEO was being carried in <laughs> by people that were dressed like yeah yeah, yeah whatever yeah, it was, was going yeah, on there yeah. So yeah in the in the the uh, the bad blood book but none of that going on yeah I I think. Um, you know, the uh, the prosecutors in the Theranos case, I mean, they've been saying they want to, you know, put, you know, like have have testimony and evidence on her lavish lifestyle, uh, you know, to say that, that was her motivation for, you know, the, um, you know, the the fraud that, you know, she they, they claim that Theranos committed. But interesting. But, you know, I mean, her, her lawyers are kind of saying, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like, you know, the, um, you know, the perks that she had as Theranos' as CEO were uh, and, and the attention that she got weren't anything much different than what he'd you know, seen the other major CEOs. I'd be, I'd be really interested to, I, I don't know if anybody would actually talk about it, but I'd be really interested to hear uh, what, you know, CEOs in general would have to say about that. Like, you know, <laughs> do they, do they do they think that, you know, like the way she conducted herself was you know, really, you know, beyond what CEOs normally do? Yeah, I know it'd be interesting to get some feedback on that. But uh, as I said, I don't remember that being a real point of the, the, the bad bullet. Bad blood book, but uh, maybe there's there's more to it. All right, bring us to uh, to number two on the new Marcus Newsmakers list. Number two on the list, uh, the uh, this was this was much anticipated. Butterfly Network has now uh, started. A, you love Butterfly Network. Our, our readers love Butterfly Network. I mean, really, any story comes out about them, it's it's getting thousands of hits right now on Mass Device. Um, it's 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 it. I think the signal there is that this is definitely a company that people in the medical device community are, are watching, and and I guess that would make sense. I mean, it's a, you know, their, their big technology, their butterfly IQ system is a, a transducer that, you know, is able uses semiconductor technology to perform, perform a whole body imaging. I mean, it just has a single handheld probe. I mean, it sounds like, uh, sounds like something from Star Trek. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's trading on the New York Stock Exchange now. Well, I have a little, a little gift for you, Chris. Oh, wow. I, I didn't tell you this earlier, actually. You're giving me a transducer? You're going to give me one of those? Uh... This is more of a, the, the gift of uh, an opportunity. We received an email from uh, a spokesperson from Butterfly offering to have uh, someone from Butterfly come on the podcast. They appreciate the shout outs. So, uh, so we'll, we'll cool. set up that interview. And uh, since you love Butterfly so much, you'll, why don't you do the interview? Hey, sounds like a plan. All right. Be fun. All right. All right. Let us do the number one on the new markers newsmakers list. Uh, number one on the list is uh, we've got uh, you know we've got a former Medtronic executive who's been uh, tapped to uh, to lead uh, the uh, the Zimmer Biomet spinoff, uh, which they're for now they're calling Nuco. This is a, a spinoff of uh, Zimmer Biomet's uh, spine and dental business that's expected to close in, in mid twenty twenty two. It's one of the uh, the biggest deals right now uh, that's mm-hmm. underway in the. Uh, in the medical device space, and uh, yeah, they've tapped uh, uh, Vafa Jamili um, to uh, to be the CEO. And uh, you know, he uh, you know, he most recently was a chief commercial officer at, at Rockley uh, Photonics, but uh, before that, he was senior vice president, president of respiratory, gastrointestinal, and informatics at Medtronic. So, uh, 
Oh, interesting. He's been at, you know, he's been, uh, he's had leadership jobs at Covidia and Cardinal Health, Baxter. So, I mean, this is a really uh, experienced, seasoned uh, medical device executive. He's going to be, uh, you know, taking over, you know, what's going to be one of the, uh, you know, largest uh, spine device uh, companies in the world. Uh, I was wondering initially, at first, I don't know if he was leaving Medtronic now. It'll be interesting to see, and he's not, but so this is, does not fit my my question, but it'll be interesting to see with the reorg. Uh if we we'll, if we see some folks moving on from the company for one reason or the other, you know, maybe they're reassigned to a new Medtronic business they didn't want to be part of, or maybe new opportunities are just coming up, but uh, be something to follow, I guess, in the coming months. Yo, know, it's interesting, you know, in the past. Um, you know, we have a, a number of, of, of leaders in the medical device industry that, you know, kind of came out of, uh, of GE mm-hmm. um, right. in the old days, um, you know, including, uh, you know, including like Omar Ishrock, Jeff Martha, Jeff leading Medtronic. Um, you know, Lucier he, from Corsa Medical. He's yeah, right. GE guy. Right. Yep. I mean, so all those people. And, you know, now we're kind of seeing this uh, trend now that we've got, you know, Martha taking over Medtronic. Uh, you know, we're, yeah, we're starting to see like all these like former Medtronic people. Um, kind of moving into leadership jobs around around the industry. So it's almost like the, you know, it's like in, in the same way that, you know, maybe a lot of the f- older crop of executives, or I wouldn't say older crop, but definitely we had a crop of executives that kind of cut their teeth at G during the Emult days. Now we're kind of getting mm-hmm. like this crop that, you know, we're around Medtronic during the Ishrak days and they're, they're yeah. moving around. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. Oh, it was, who, who left? Uh, it was a new, his new maker just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, then she joined Zimmer as... Strategy officer, exactly. Right? They hired uh, somebody from Medtronic as their uh, chief, uh, you know, chief uh, transformation officer. That's right, chief yeah. transformation officer. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, maybe it's something that we'll uh, we'll see. Ellie Humphrey. There, that's right. Thank you Google. There we go. I'm going to pretend we have a producer. My producer just told me it's Ellie Humphrey, <laughs> but it was actually I had just quick googling on my part. So, all right. Well, some something to follow, and hey, maybe it'll be an article. On Mass Device. I see a trend. It's turning into a trend. Uh, Excellent. There we go. Breaking news. Breaking news. We, here on the podcast. We figure it out right now. <laughs> it's great. All right. We love breaking news here on the Device Talks Weekly Podcast, but we know you are here for the interviews, and then we have a great one today. Had a chance to speak with Tim Herbert from Inspire Medical. Got to know Tim a few years ago when I worked on a different medical device conference. Uh, Tim's a, a great guy. Great to talk to. Great to have on a stage. As I'll mention in the podcast, I'd hope to have this conversation on a stage, but of course, things didn't work out that way. But uh, please enjoy this conversation with Tim Herbert of Inspire Medical. Hey folks, Tom here. Before we get into our keynote conversation with Tim Herbert, I know a lot of you want to start companies and many of you, of course, launch medical devices. Well, we have some free legal advice for you from our friends at Finnegan. We'll now hear from Arpita Bachatara. She is a partner at Finnegan's Palo Alto office, and she'll tell you what you need to do when you're thinking of launching a medical device. If you're about to launch a new medical device, and you're wondering whether it's commercially safe for you to do so without infringing third-party patents, then conducting a freedom-to-operate search is the best step you can take to minimize your risk of infringing existing patent rights. Although the scope of every FTO is different, here are four things that will maximize the effectiveness of your FTO. First, Carry out your FDO at an early stage in the development of your product. If you become aware of a relevant patent at the design phase of your product, then it is much easier to simply design around that problematic patent. 
you may also be able to resolve the situation by taking a license to the existing technology or even showing that the existing patent is invalid. Don't wait till you are going through FDA approval or you are days away from launching your product. Second, conduct your FDO search in the key markets in which you are planning to make or sell your product. For example, if you are only planning to commercialize in the US, but you plan to manufacture somewhere in Asia, then it is best to conduct your, your FDO for both those countries. Third, don't forget to look at pending patent applications. Pending applications can often be more problematic than granted patents as the scope of protection is less certain. Monitoring the progress of patent applications can therefore be important and action can be taken to try and stop the grant of such applications. Fourth, if you have a limited FDO budget, then focus on the low hanging fruits, for example, your key competitors. If you want more certainty, you can always expand the search later. Smart FTO and preemptive actions are your best friends in preventing unwanted litigation down the road after you have commercialized your medical device. Well, Tim Herbert, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Tim. It's great to be here. It's, uh, it's great to finally get to talk to you. You were going to be one of our keynote speakers at Device Talks Minnesota last year. And uh, and then I was going to hoping to have you in this year for Device Talks Minnesota, but unfortunately neither happened. So I'm glad to have you on the podcast. Uh, you've got uh, uh, one of those LinkedIn profiles that doesn't give me a lot of information to work off. It seems like your life started at Inspire Medical. Uh, so I'd love to find out a little more about your your super secret background. Uh, how did you uh, how did you find your way into the medtech industry? Wow. Okay. Well, I came out, I'm an electrical engineering background. I came out uh, years ago and uh, I started working at Honeywell Defense back in the, in the mid eighties and uh, focused there for quite a period of time until the defense industry started to back down. And, and that was when all the med tech was starting to hop in Minneapolis. And so all the engineers moved North to, to uh, Medical Alley, if you will, and to all the Medtronic and Guidant and Boston Sci and St. Jude. And I did. I went up to Medtronic and joined there in 96. And I worked in the corporate venture. So our job was to go around Medtronic, find technology and bring it back to the ventures and develop that and uh, create new business opportunities. And so I worked for many years at Medtronic. I never worked on the heart. I always did neural stimulation as far as spinal cord for pain or sacral nerve for uh, urology. Everybody knows inner stem. We've done deep brain stimulation, mm -hmm. um, gastric stimulation for a disease called gastroparesis called Entera, which is very, very important therapy. But there's also a product there that uh, we just didn't have the resources to, to be able to develop on, and that was Inspire. And that was stimulation for treating obstructive sleep apnea. And we were able to developed the first implantable system and are, we are able to do the first in man trial of uh, eight patients that ended in the year 2000, but to transition that to the next level, that's where it takes significant amount of capital. Mm -hmm. And at the time we were going through a CEO change and that was when the Bill George and Dr. Glenn Nelson were retiring and, and uh, our college was coming into Medtronic and there's a transition from the away from the ventures to move those into the business units and have the business units develop the organic uh, activity. 
and that the neurodivision at the time just didn't have the resources to be able to fund everything that they had going, including Inspire. So I'd box up Inspire and I had to uh, move on and, and do other things. And, and we were successful in other areas, but we always had in the back of our mind that we were going to find a way to get Inspire started again. Interesting. And it took five years of going back and forth with uh, Medtronic going through the annual operating plan and working with Steve Osterley and Gary Ellis and, and uh, Bill Hawkins and even Art Collins at the time. And we finally decided the right thing to do was create a new co and spin it out and create a new company. So for those five years, were you, were you pushing more like, look, we need to commit Medtronic resources to this and build a business out of this? Or in the back of your mind, was uh, was Nuco going to be the ultimate uh, the ultimate destination? Well, I was busy working on deep brain stimulation and gastric stimulation projects, but I always was in touch with Gary Ellis mm-hmm. to say, you know, Gary, we got to throw a little bit of money at this Inspire. We can we can develop it. We need to kind of show proof of principle that that we can really get the organization behind us. We worked very hard for those five years to find an avenue. Um, inside Medtronic to get that done. But it takes a significant uh, financial commitment for many years. And uh, finally, we realized the right thing to do is is to just spin that out. And, and I was excited to say, yes, I will. I will take this out. And the first person I called, of course, was uh, my good friend, Dr. Glenn Nelson, mm-hmm. who listened to the story. And, and I remember the famous quote from Dr. Nelson. And he said, you know, this deserves a chance. And he put in the first seed money into Inspire back in uh, late 2006. Wow, that's that's a great uh, a great vote of confidence from Glenn Nelson. Was being a CEO of a medtech startup part of your plan when you were planning? I guess when you moved into medtech, do you say someday I wanna, or did it just sort of come together? No, I, I don't did not have an aspiration to become a public company CEO. In fact, I often told people that's that's not what I'm all about. That's not what we're going to do. But to be successful with Inspire, which was the most important thing, uh, that's the role that I have taken, and and that's the role that I really truly enjoy, and uh, have been doing this since. And I think uh, aspiring to be a CEO, I think what it takes is a good foundation. So I have done a lot of different things. As I said, I'm an engineering background. Mm-hmm. I've worked in reliability. I've been a, a design engineer, not not a good design engineer, but I, I worked in that space. <laughs> I've uh, managed clinical trials. I've worked in regulatory. I, I've spent a lot of time in reimbursement. I've been on the field. I carried a bag. I sold and uh, worked on marketing. So you really need to have a really broad breadth of experience so when you get to that general manager position or, or that of a CEO, uh, it, that really is what you can lean on is, is that breadth of experience. But it's very rare, and, and I want to get into Inspire in a moment, but I, I'm, I've always been impressed by you because it's very rare to find a CEO who can, can start a company, carry the ball all the way to the end zone and take it public and, and remain CEO of a public company. Normally, there's a handoff at some point where someone is a, a they're, they're the public CEO, they're the commercial CEO, they're the CEO who's bringing in some of the next skill level that's necessary to, to get a company where it needs to go. Mm-hmm. How did you hold on to the ball and, and sort of what did you do to make sure you had those skills going forward? Because all the other stuff you mentioned is great to get to the point, you're right, of leading a startup and, and moving a company forward. But being a, the CEO of a public company, 
I, I imagine that's a com- completely different uh, skill set. Well, in, in the early days, you are so correct. In the early days, I was in the operating room. I was supporting the implants, and I was in the sleep lab um, working with the physicians on device programming and working closely with the research um, people. And uh, today, I have pretty much changed into a finance guy, right? I spent a lot of time um, making sure the investors understand our strategy, where we're going with the company, and uh, make sure that we are cultivating a, a strong organization and bringing in very top talent. So I think that the trick to be able to transition from a startup um, through a, a, a regulatory-based uh, business to a reimbursement-based business, and by the way, this is our first year of actually becoming a fully commercial business because we, we've been through the reimbursement hurdle. Mm-hmm. It's all about people. It's all about making sure that you bring in top people at the right time to be able to help the organization succeed and people that you trust and are capable of leading their organizations. And uh, that allows me to focus more on the high level of, of the organization and external communications with our important investors and supporters. But I think, I think the, the trick to it is everything is number one, having a commitment to the patient. Mm-hmm. That is the number one thing. And, and by everybody focusing on the patient, it's a good rallying point. And number two is making sure you just bring in top talent across the board to make the organization successful. And that's what we've done. And, and we have very, very low turnover uh, because of, because of the focus of who we are, the culture that we have and our focus on the patient. So it sounds like you're, you're looking for the people who bring those skills that you may necessarily not be strongest in and you're really building a team. I went for the first, how many years uh, we, we spun out of Medtronic and, uh, in May of 2007, we didn't bring on our CFO until 2014. We didn't have our head of human resources until uh, a year later in 2015. We didn't bring on wow. a chief operating officer. We brought in Phil Ebling from St. Jude uh, just this past year. We didn't have a general counsel. We just announced recently that we uh, brought on Brian Phillips, who is the long-term General Counsel at Sermatics just joined um, Inspire. So he's your first general counsel. He's our first general counsel. We always wow. had a great partnership with uh, Tom Sanders over at Stinson uh, downtown Minneapolis. But uh, Tom recently retired, and congratulations to him. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was time for us to transition, and we didn't bring that expertise into the organization until we were at that point where we could really um, let them let them grow and let them influence the organization with their experiences. And, and uh, Phil, as an example, has done just a wonderful job. I think uh, Steve Jandrich, our uh, HR guy, he was head of HR at St. Jude. And from there, he went head of HR at uh, at uh, uh, Jack Link's Beef Jerk, if you can imagine that transition back in <laughs> But he was able to come in and really build structure and, and a lot of the compliance programs and build a recruiting force that's able to hit our our high hiring demands and and uh and uh, we've more than doubled or tripled in just the last couple of years as we continue to grow that's amazing and, and just to be clear so you're you were waiting to the point where there was there was a role that needed to be filled and then you went out and filled that role you weren't necessarily looking for of the person who then okay we found the right person let's bring them in you you identified the need first absolutely i think if you look at a lot yeah. of small startups and, and that's one of the recommendations i always make 
the first thing you see is the CEO will come in and they will create an org chart and they will populate all the boxes on the top. And that's not what an organization needs. An organization needs, you know, people with, with shovels and, and people who are going to work and really contribute. Mm-hmm. And we're not, we don't need that top level step. You need experience, you need quality people, you need very high talent. Um, but when you get to a larger organization, that is a different, different um, experience level and different skill set. And so that's part of the transition we're going through. And that'll continue as we move forward. Let's talk a bit about the, the tech. What is uh, what does the Inspires product do and how does it do it? Well, Inspire is a fully implantable system for the treatment of obstructive sleep apnea. It is a therapy. Uh, everybody knows, can relate sleep apnea with CPAP masks and people with a mask uh-huh. at night. And what that mask does is just blow enough pressure into the airway to keep it from collapsing. And we do the same thing, except instead of using external air to hold the airway open, we stimulate the hypoglossal nerve that's right underneath your tongue. So when we stimulate that, it actually moves to the base of your tongue forward and holds the airway open as you breathe. It's also a closed loop system because the only time we really need to stimulate the airway is when you inhale because your diaphragm contracts, you have negative pressure in the chest, air has to rush in Well, that's called breathing. So when you inhale, that creates a vacuum so your airway can restrict and even collapse. And that's what obstructive sleep apnea is. So our job is simply to stimulate the hypoglossal nerve as you inhale to hold the airway open. And again, CPAP does the same thing except they use air. Here's the problem with CPAP. It's an external apparatus and it is high pressure and people are uncomfortable using it. And so the compliance to CPAP is known to be around 50%. Mm -hmm. That's the role of Inspire. That for those people that uh, are unable to benefit from CPAP, those with moderate to severe obstructive sleep apnea, those are the patients that we're looking to treat with Inspire. It's about uh, a two hour procedure. Mm-hmm. Um, under general anesthesia, but that's not that's not the challenge. The key is it's a lifelong therapy, and you have a remote that you turn the device on when you go to bed at night, and it works all night, every night. And you get up in the morning, the device will either time out or you can uh, shut it off, and uh, you go about your normal day with the device off. And then same thing at night, uh, turn it on. It's very adjustable, so the sleep physicians work with the patients to make sure the therapy is comfortable yet has sufficient stimulation to overcome their obstructive sleep apnea. And hence, that's why we have such a high efficacy rate, a very high safety profile. And uh, in our latest study, the ADHERE registry, it's an ongoing registry we publish annually on, on the data that we've had. I think we've published on the 1,000 patient. Right now, we're enrolling upwards of about 2,500 patients. But in the 1,000 um, patient paper, we asked those patients six months after they had the therapy, what do you think? 94% said they'd do it all over again. Wow. That's when we knew we hit a home run because we have an extremely high patient satisfaction score. We have a very therapeutic product in a disease state that left untreated has significant comorbidities, including cardiovascular risks, hypertension, and it's been even linked to uh, early mortality. So everything kind of aligns pretty good with the evidence that we've had in 2020, even during the pandemic period, we were really able to lock in all the reimbursement. 
So we have over 210 million covered, 207 million covered lives. We have full Medicare coverage in all 50 states. We have a government contract for the VA and the military. And so pretty much we have full reimbursement for for everybody, but just a few um, payers that we're still working with and really allows us this year to, to be able to scale our field organization and, and grow the business. Yeah, I want to talk about the reimbursement process in a moment, just to focus on the tech. And, and I want to talk about apnea, which is an interesting disease, I think. But if I have this done, where is your implant implanted and is there anything visible on the outside? Is there some kind of uh, something attached to my chest or my or my stomach. The or- face of the therapy is the remote control, right? And that's what sits on your nightstand, and that's what you yep. use to turn the device on. the The Inspire system is is all under the skin. The neural stimulator is placed below the collarbone, like other neural stimulators. The stimulation lead or the wire is tunneled under the skin to the hypoglossal nerve, which is just underneath your chin. And then the sensor is placed between the intercostal muscles, basically underneath your pectoris muscle. So there's nothing visible. And, okay. uh, and because we only use the device at night and we only stimulate um, when you inhale and with direct nerve stimulation, so it doesn't take a lot of power, we're able to get 11 years battery life out of that battery without any recharging. That's just phenomenal. It's great for the patient. That is great. Let's talk about apnea for a moment, just as a, as a market. I mean, it's it's one of those diseases where I think is dismissed easily. Someone just you know, some may just think it's snoring. I, you know, and I've talked to to others in this space who say, no, you're you're literally almost dying several, or you're dying several times every night. You know, you're losing, you're you're basically unable to breathe, unable to breathe, as I'm unable to speak. What is the challenge of going after a disease like that that's almost dismissed a bit uh by by many well it used to be years ago but if you think about the society today the three pillars of life are diet exercise and a good night's sleep and everybody has tools their apple watch their cell phone um everything will tell you how well you slept last night and what challenges Mm -hmm. you may have so the awareness of sleep apnea the awareness of good night's sleep is just so well documented and so popular in the news today. Tom Brady just talked about how important it is for him to get a good night's sleep to be able to perform at a high level, right? Mm -hmm. The world is so aware of how well they sleep. Then we get into sleep apnea and people now know the risks of sleep apnea. Uh, Every time you have one of those obstructive events, it's called an apnea or a hip apnea. And the number of events per hour is called the apnea hypopnic index or AHI. If you have more than 15 of those per hour, that's moderate, or more than 30 per hour, that's severe. Think about that. That's every other minute you are physically choked and you are not breathing. And what happens is the O2 set, O2 level in your blood drops and the brain senses low O2, so it tells the heart, you gotta pump faster, we have low oxygen right here. The heart's pumping faster, but there is no oxygen in the lungs because the patient's being choked. So the body goes into natural distress and goes into what's called a microarousal, where the patient subconsciously is awoken to break the apnea so they can hyperventilate and breathe, and then they fall asleep mm-hmm. and it all happens again. And that continuous cycling of desaturations 
is what causes all the comorbidities and the, cardio, the cardiovascular challenges. For these patients, the heart works harder at night when you're resting than it does when you're awake during the day. Wow. So that's why there is a necessity to treat it. But if you think about just the size of it, um, let's talk about just the incidence, the annual occurrence. We went through all the reports of ResMed and Respironics or Philips today of all the CPAP companies there are 2 million new prescriptions for moderate to severe sleep apnea uh, for CPAP a year. A wow. year. Think about that. Global? Or- only, yeah, only in, just in the U.S. Just and in the only, U.S. Yeah, only half those people use the therapy consistently. That means a million people per year are prescribed CPAP for their moderate to severe sleep apnea, yet are left untreated. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just a monstrous um, challenge that we are taking on. That's a very large market that that we need to um, build capacity to be able to serve that population. So that's interesting. So 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 finding people who need this is not a challenge. The diagnosis is happening. The, the issue is that they're not complying with the the current gold standard for for treatment. So what was your your process like then with the reimbursement? You talked about that earlier, and I know this has been something you've been. Well, well, first actually, let me back up. Let's go go to the FDA. You got FDA approval in 2014. If you would just kind of describe that process for us not what was it was it difficult was it easy what was your engagement with the fda like i think with the fda it's just you just have to be transparent right the fda wants um companies to succeed they're not there to be negative they're there to make sure that safe and efficacious products are released to the market to help people and that is um uh just a great charter for the fda so it's important to partner with the fda and show them your plan, show them how you're gonna conduct clinical trials, conduct high level clinical trials. So we did a series of feasibility trials to really show the proof of principle and and show that if we conduct a phase three pivotal study, we have enough basis to have confidence that we will pass that trial, such that when we ran the STAR trial, which is a a randomized trial, it, is a a one-year follow-up for safety and efficacy. And uh, when we had that data available, we passed all endpoints because we did all our preliminary work. Then when we present that data to the FDA, the FDA understands, yep, that is pretty impressive data. And uh, then they become your partner to work through to get the approvals. Interesting enough, our timeline in 14 is extraordinary that in January, of 2014, the STAR trial, the randomized trial, was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. That was one month before we went to the panel meeting. So we we uh, had a unanimous approval at the panel meeting in February. Mm-hmm. We raised our commercial financing round in March. And just eight to 10 weeks after the panel, the FDA provided full approval of our PMA. That is absolute. Well, it was record setting until this past year with the demands uh, from COVID. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's extraordinary that we were able to work with the FDA to get the partner. And we've kept that partnership strong because we can con- continue to develop on the product and continue to evolve and make the product uh, um, easier to use, more comfortable for the patient and improve safety and efficacy. So we FDA is your lifelong partner and, and uh, we have a great relationship with them. 
That's great. So let's talk about uh, about the reimbursement process. What were the challenges there? You got the FDA approval in 2014. You're now talking about getting, you're, you're really in a, in a more comfortable place with reimbursement now, six years later. Was that a difficult process to get the payers to sign on? Well, it's not a difficult process. You just have to run your plan. And the plan is very simple. Now, we have an implanted product, the neural simulator that provides us the resources to do individual prior authorizations for patients for um, lesser priced products is more difficult to do, but we could commit to the patients. Now we were entering a new market space. There are other companies and, and great companies like Neuroaxonics that are moving into spaces like spinal cord for pain or sacral nerve for urology, but the groundwork has already been set. So when they come into the market, they just need to distinguish themselves, create a market and, and grab market share, but the reimbursement is already established. We have to work from the beginning to establish reimbursement and show the safety and efficacy of the therapy. And we have to prove that to United Healthcare and, and to the to CMS and to all the other commercial payers and even the government VA. So when we start out, every single case is an individual prior authorization. And when you submit that prior authorization, it is denied. And then you submit a first level appeal, it is denied. You submit a second level appeal, it is de uh, denied. And finally, you can get to an external medical review, which is an independent arbitrator between the insurance company and the patient. And we started to win all those cases because we do have sufficient evidence to show safety and efficacy. That was the trick. As soon as we can get patients through the appeal process to the external medical review, now we start building a track record. And then once we got 50, 100 cases approved at United Healthcare, then United Healthcare can start looking at their own patients and they can start looking at that growing body of evidence. And soon we had five year follow up data. Soon we had large clinical studies. And all of a sudden, now we're building a dossier that does fit the mold for full coverage. And you start, I think Aetna was first. Aetna was the first breakthrough that broke coverage. And, and uh, a year ago, we had a positive review from Evidence Street with Blue Cross Blue Shield. So we picked up all the blues programs. Um, the most interesting accomplishment that Inspire had in the market access team was when we got national Medicare coverage, but we did it locally. What I mean by that, we went to the individual maps, right? The Medicare area carriers or consultants, if you will. And we had them write a local coverage determination. And there's currently eight or nine MACs around the United States and all, every one of the MACs wrote an LCD, all very consistent. They actually worked together. And all of those local coverage determinations published in May and June of 2020, and now we have full Medicare coverage without going through CMS. CMS was a part of the process. CMS uh, was engaging with the MACs to be supportive. CMS put guidelines out there to make this acceptable for the MACs to execute this program, but I think we're the first company to, to accomplish this feat, and credit goes out to Kathy Sherwood and our reimbursement team for being able to develop a, a national Medicare coverage policy locally. How unique is that? That is very unique. That's great. I know you're, you're, we're bumping up against your time here, but uh, I guess this leads us into the, the final question area. It sounds like you've got uh, all systems go, all cylinders are running, whatever metaphor you want to use. Do you? Where does Inspire go from here? What does your next year look like 
for business? Are you just building on the business you have? And what is next? Can you be essentially a single product company publicly traded going forward? Or do you see a need to, to build out into other areas? Uh, a lot of sub parts to that question. So it's kind of. Yeah, I know. Trying to get it under the wire. Well, what we're saying is that we did uh, have such a major accomplishment in the reimbursement environment uh, last year. And, and even on top of that, there's a whole new category one cold set that was approved by the AMA in October. And we're just going through that rock uh, valuation process. So Inspire will have a brand new category one code um, set January 1st, 2022. That's just absolutely exciting. And that really is good for the surgeons that prescribe it. We also learned early on that with the significant number of patients with diagnosed moderate to severe sleep apnea, yet unable to use CPAP, that we could reach this population directly. And so years ago, we started a direct-to-consumer program and reach out directly to patients to build awareness. Today, we run TV in most major cities, and we have TV ads that basically simply stated, um, if you've been diagnosed and are unable to benefit from CPAP, inspires a therapy that can work with just a touch of the button. And we, it's amazing how many um, web hits we get. We get well over three, four million web hits of people interested they want to learn more and they come to our website and now we've started something called an advisor care program which basically is a call center and what Mm -hmm. we do is we communicate with these patients to get them connected with the right physicians sometimes patients don't have um they haven't been diagnosed with sleep and so they should see a sleep physician sometimes they're ready for inspired so they should go to an ent So we're going to be scaling that up this year, scaling up our website, scaling up our direct-to-consumer, but that means we also have to scale up our field team. So the two words that we're using for 2021 are capacity and conversion. Mm -hmm. We need to grow our capacity, increase the number of centers that provide Inspire, and increase the utilization at the existing centers to make sure we get scheduled OR days. And the conversion comes from using the call center of all those inquiries to our website, speak with those people, find out what they need, get them in contact with the right physician and improve the conversion rate from inquiring patients to those receiving Inspire therapy. So we are just at the very beginning. So yes, we will continue to be focused on Inspire, focused on those patients with sleep apnea as we move forward. Uh, We're excited to be a public company. We're excited to have the right to grow the therapy and grow the adoption of it. And uh, it, it's it's just a, a great place to be um, and inspire. I'm nothing but proud of what we have accomplished at Inspire and proud of the quality people that we have and the, and the people that are committed to the patient. So yes, you're gonna continue to hear about Inspire for years to come and, and it's nothing but exciting. And that's great. Do you, do you plan on acquiring companies now that you're publicly held, growing your portfolio through through acquisition? And then I'll, I'll let you well, go. We know we have a very unique technology with our closed loop stimulation. So we always look for what would be the right approach for us to take mm-hmm. other disease states that we can look at that require closed loop. Um, most other neural stimulators that you know for spinal cord for pain or deep brain stim, those are for the most part, all just open loop, meaning you just have a mm-hmm. cycle. And our ability to sense and react, sense and stem, 
um, opens up other channels. So we always look for opportunities without defocusing our, our key uh, product. And then we'll also look at, is there other ways that uh, we can grow a business to really help the sleep apnea patients? So we certainly have a very talented group of people and very strategic group of people. So we're always um, looking for things that can help us. And we invest very heavy in our own uh, development of our technology, not just the implanted products, but we have a whole digital platform that is coming out with the Inspire app has been released. The Inspire cloud is our cloud-based patient management system that makes it easier for sleep physicians to manage a greater number of patients. So we have just so many initiatives going on from a technology standpoint too. That's excellent. Great. Lots of two different paths to go, neural and respiratory or apnea. Uh, I appreciate the uh, the time, Tim. I look forward to uh, to the time and place where we can uh, meet in person and do this on a stage somewhere. I still look forward to, to that day uh, as well. I hope everybody stays safe and, and you can see the tides turning that uh, we're getting on top of this COVID thing and, and the world's uh, getting back to normal and we're seeing that with uh, an increase in the number of people that are again receiving Inspire Therapy. So pretty cool. All right, Tom, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Tim. Take care. All right, well, it was great to hear from Tim Herbert at Inspire Medical. I really uh, I really like Tim. He was number one, very easy to edit. <laughs> he doesn't have a lot of excess noises in his in his interview, no no ahs or ums, but I uh, love the fact that he just uh, started out as an engineer and uh, created this opportunity to be CEO, and now he's CEO of a publicly held company, which is uh, not easy to do. So uh, Tim Herbert's a good guy, and hopefully we'll have him at an upcoming Device Talks meeting. We'll have Device Talks Boston on October 4th and 5th, but uh, more likely we'll, we'll see Tim in Minnesota next year. That's trending toward late April, early May. So stay tuned for those details. Chris Newmarker, how can folks find you out there in social media land? Hey, I'm on LinkedIn, Chris Newmarker, just like a new marker. And I'm on Twitter as well at Newmarker. Excellent. I am also on Twitter at MedTechTom. I am on LinkedIn, Tom Salemi. I am on Clubhouse, still struggling to figure it out, but you can find me at MedTechTom on Clubhouse. Uh, we will be doing something there at some point soon. I think it's a, be a great opportunity to connect with people more directly. And uh, that's it. That is a wrap. Thank you for uh, for joining us in the podcast. Please do subscribe to this podcast. If you do, you'll get it right away as opposed to having to wait for us to post it on social a few days later. We have hundreds of people who listen to this podcast uh, over the weekend. They must subscribe. So uh, be one of those cool few who, who hear the podcast early on. And uh, if you do uh, enjoy what we're doing here, please share the news on social media and uh, tell your friends. And uh, hey, Give us a ranking and a comment again. You know, attaboys never hurt. Right, Chris Newmarker? Yeah, that's right. Excellent. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week. We'll have another episode of the Device Talks Weekly podcast waiting for you. See you soon.